Um, so are you just coming from a basketball game right now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this is the first practice was on Tuesday and they were a mess. Just, um, I was like herding cats. <laughs> I mean, this is just me watching. Right. And then Brian, um, like had a plan and, um, a schedule and a whistle. And today they look, they look pretty good. Did they win? They're very loud no it's just it was just practice oh okay okay but so they, they were just working on some like tight dribble skills and scrimmage and chest passes and a, and a practice scrimmage or no like i i'm not convinced that they know how to play yet yeah i think we're there, i think we're starting with like third grade the really really basics third and fourth okay because i i've long said that my dream job would be coaching i think probably fifth and sixth graders yeah, um, I think that's they get the basics down, and you can kind of exactly. Yeah, yeah. but still, that's that is, well, and they also I think develop a little bit more control of their bodies, which right. I've noticed even between last year, which was the first year that Beatrice played, and this year, it's like her limbs are just like <laughs> communicating better with each other. Interesting. So I think given another year or two, it could actually be like close to the real thing yeah i figure once they can shoot like beyond the free throw line mm -hmm. and then and then have enough coordination to like make a a like a bounce pass then then yes, the game like exactly. really opens up and it's like it can be very interesting exactly i i think you're right yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's, um, that's my dream job is to coach children basketball oh is that frankie is that <laughs> frankie frankie okay. frankie frankie look Hi, look, you TV. You know what's funny? I'd noticed like um, doing this podcast through video is that people can't see what we see, you know? So we're like reacting to things. Yeah. But, and at first I was like, oh, that's a dog. We should just cover up the cameras and talk. But then it's like, nah, this is cool. I'd, I'd rather see your dog and then let yeah, listeners of course. be in the dark. And it's nice. It's like we're talking, you know, like face to face like kind of. Normal people. Like normal people. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So. Should we just launch into this uh, book talk? Um, sure. Okay. So I wanted the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was the evolution of the novel, and I'd read um, mm -hmm. some other interviews you'd done when you talked about the kind of drafting process and how much got cut from it. Um, but I'm interested in the so the chapters are broken up for those who well, and I should say for those who haven't read it, um, there will be spoilers in this uh, conversation. Um, and the book is called Motherist, and it's a novel, and uh, it's by Kristen Iskandrian, who's the guest. Um, and the chapters are broken up into first-person narration and letters from the main character, Agnes, to her mom, who has left after Agnes goes to college and her brother, Simon, commits suicide. And I was interested in where, how, like, when did these letters start to be part of the novel, or were they always part of it? Um, the letters came in pretty early and initially it was, um, kind of just experimentation. I didn't know if they would ultimately stay. I didn't know if I was, I, I didn't know if it was like, like if it was real, I didn't know if I was just drafting or like 
accumulating the voice. Um, so I tried it out and the more I kind of sat with it and, and thought about the exposition and thought about kind of just like what would happen next and what would happen next, which is very much how it went when I was drafting it. It was sort of like, what is the next thing? And what is the next thing? There wasn't a whole, like, I didn't really have the long view. Um, the letters just started to hold a certain drama for me. And, um, and I think for the story, so it didn't take me long to convince myself that they were here to stay. Um, and that they were in a certain way, like another character of like in the book. Um, but I, I kind of just, to, to be truthful, I was, I brought them in as a means of, of developing voice, knowing that that format is comfortable for me yeah, and feeling that, that, that format would probably be comfortable to, um, an 18 slash 19 year old girl. Right. Um, so what yeah. I thought was interesting too, is that the, it's not like the narration is the action and the letters are the, you know, like analysis of, of that action mm -hmm. and, or like the emotion behind the scenes that there's, there's action in the letters and then there's like reflection and analysis in the, the first person prose narration part. So was, were there parts that like were originally letters that became narration or vice versa? Yeah, um, there were. Um, and I don't even know whether I could point to specific letters where that would happen, but there were definitely a few moments as I was drafting. And then also during the revision process where, um, if I, I really like, I like to think about rhythm a lot and, and obviously it's a very interior book, mm -hmm. but there were points where I felt like the interiority might become, you know, just um maybe boring i don't know uh, or or too protracted so when that would start to happen i would look at the letters and say what's in here that maybe doesn't need to be in here or vice versa yeah um because i was aware that you know the um that shift between the exposition and the letters could be a good thing, but it also might not be a good thing. Like they needed to be distinct enough, um, to, to warrant each of their, you know, to kind of warrant their place respectively, but they also needed to, I think, play off of each other and provide these sorts of like punctuating moments for the reader. Um, so yeah, like there's one letter in the, um, in the book that's got a really long PS. Right. Yeah. It's got like yeah, a two page yeah. postscript. And that was something I went back and forth, you know, do I make, do I put this in present tense kind of real time? And then I thought, no, I'm just going to leave this as a long giant PS. Cause I kind of wanted to, and I like the effect of it. And I also think there's something about Agnes's character, which was very much like act now, think later, which I think is like 
maybe a lot of people that age um, and certainly a lot of people in pain, you know, there's kind of this sense of like you go through your life and maybe you think about it later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the letters gave her a chance to do that. But she's so. clearly like a very smart college freshman, I thought. Um, she's pretty smart. Yeah. Yeah. So even while she's acting first and thinking later, like her her reflections are pretty astute and, and seem like wise beyond her years. Um, mm -hmm. So did you, what were the considerations you had in writing for a character like that, where you knew she was acting without thinking, but she could think, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, I do, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think, obviously, you know, for such a character-driven novel, you want a character to be interesting. You know, you, you want to think beyond the considerations of, you know, is this character likable or not? And you just want to think in terms, at least I do, in terms of what, what's interesting. And, um, and I think that Agnes is, um, I think I would describe her as being almost dulled by pain in certain ways you know I mean maybe you'd say traumatized or I don't know um I don't know if she would say that but I think that there's a point at which her her pain and the and the age and the place all coalesced to give her certain insights sure I wanted that to happen um, I wanted to think about what was, um, what was feasible, but I also wanted to think beyond what was feasible into what, what could be, you know, I don't think I had her insights at her age. No, right. I'm certain I didn't have her insights at her age, but I'd like to think, you know, someone could, um, and, and could be capable of expressing them even you know, even being in some ways naive or wrongheaded or short-sighted, but, but to have also a sense, um, that pain can be instructive and, um, like maybe redemptive. I don't know. Right. I mean, to me, it seemed like she was searching. Yeah. Was the, the sense that I got, um, yeah. both in her personal life. And then I thought her, her sort of academic life was pretty instructive too, that I think there was a line from one of her professors, like, you know, shows a lot of promise, but doesn't, doesn't have like the research to back it up. Yeah. It just felt like, yeah, yeah that's the person you're dealing with. Like, right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. I think she, um, like in those moments, I think she showed a little bit of like, that headiness or arrogance of youth a little bit where like she kept writing these papers that like didn't have any research in them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, she wanted to use her own experiences or her own, you know, like whims or her own ideas about things. And it's like, you can't, you just it's so college like both to want to do that and to get away with it and to have you know a professor or two who will sort of indulge that and be right, like yeah. yes you are so promising totally <laughs> keep going yeah, yeah. so just do the research next time 
Right. But next yeah. time maybe, you know, read one of the books that are on this list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you ever consider writing the book entirely in letters? Huh? No, I didn't. I, um, but you know, there, but there was a fine line between like, how many can I put? In? Yeah, <laughs> like if I, there is a number, like right, right. how many could we use here? Um, so there was a book that I used to read as a kid by Beverly Cleary called Dear Mr. Henshaw. I don't know how it would hold up. I haven't read it since I was young, but it was a letter that a kid wrote to his favorite author. That was the entire book was just Dear Mr. Henshaw. And Mr. Henshaw was an author that he admired. Um, and so you learned about the kid strictly through the letters and strictly through this lens of just total admiration. And it stayed with me. And then I remember like Frankie, um, Frankie's like, that book is excellent. Um, there was Ben, um, there was a book, um, I think that I read, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, eight years ago, I forget when it came out, but it was by Ben Greenman and it was entirely in letters. And I remember it being sort of humorous slash satirical. Um, I mean, I love reading letters. I yeah. really do. Like I love, there's, there's just, you know, like Emily Dickinson's letters and all those kinds of like poetic correspondences are so interesting to me. And yeah. I think I to many people just started reading Wallace Stevenson's letters and they're, oh, wow. they're crazy. Like, cause you, well, I had thought that like he, he learned his style somehow or like evolved into it. But when you read yeah. his writing as like a 14 year old, like, Oh no, you were always this. <laughs> that this was guy. you, like, which was kind of like a uh, heartening in a way. It's like, okay, I can yeah. quit trying just be yourself. Um, but that's the thing about the letter that I think is really fascinating. I think like it's it's for many of us, it's the thing that we first learned to write. Yeah, where w where we are ourselves, you know, I mean, there's like maybe the kind of what I did on my summer vacation. There's the um, cookie cutter book report where you read and summarize. But like when you write your first letter you're really, it's just, it's this conversation that happens on the page and also in your head yeah, and also yeah, yeah. kind of, you know, diaristically and all that seems to jive with the character of Agnes, but sometimes I don't know what came first. Like, did she come first or was she just sort of melded in my mind to this, to these letters, you know, and yeah. to the desire to write them? Um, right. And I guess, you know, I hadn't, really thought about their role in the time or pacing of the novel, I guess, as you, that you just brought up in that they really do provide like a, it's a different speed almost. And, and it keeps mm -hmm. the book going in a way, like if it were all letters that could bog it down quite a bit. Um, yeah. But like I, the one that sticks out to me so. or the transition was the one I guess so. She ends one chapter. Oh, is that a is someone there? No, oh, oh, that's okay. just Frankie, like trying to get comfortable. It's Sorry. funny how it's that loud for you. It sounded like a knock Dude, on the door. Just settle down. No, it is like like I'm gonna show you what it is right, right now. All right. Wait, can you see him? Um, Wait, hold, hold on. on. That's carpet. Um... <laughs> oh, he's just. 
he's just like trying to sit on this jacket and okay. he's being annoying. Okay, right. sorry. But uh, the, the transition from there was like it ends like uh, so, dear mom, or should I say grandmom? Like, right. P.S. This is not a joke. Then it goes. There was some narration, and then the letter I think goes into like the Planned Parenthood visit. Yeah, and it was like you would just—it just seems so appropriate that that is like a private letter. You know, that wouldn't be in the narration, right? As much. That's then, that's how I saw it. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. So that I don't know. Uh, I I see what you're saying. Um, yeah. Questions about Agnes, though. Does she feel like a real person to you? She really does. I mean, yeah. she really does. And, and like, um, it's funny. And it, I can't, I, I have a hard time still seeing her exactly. Like, I think she could look like any number of people, but I hear her a lot. Right. I mean, which is just the consequence of having, you know, sat with this thing for such a long time. Um, like, I can hear her thoughts and imagine them that just that kind of um I don't know if it's a wryness or what but that quality has stayed with me to the point where I feel like I do like know her does she feel more part of you or separate from you is that a fair question I yeah I think that's very fair I think it's both I mean I think it's almost like um Maybe I'd compare it to, like, someone you've grown up with or have known really well, uh, where there's, like, these things that you share, and then there are just, you know, these points of total division. She feels like someone I've known for a long time or um, someone I could hang out with or... Um, in, in certain moments, maybe someone I've been, you know, in terms of certain responses or reactions to things. But, um, but she also is so wholly not me that, you know, like this, you know, it, I don't have a hard time kind of like separating. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, at a point, it became very natural because I did start with certain things that I felt like I knew intimately, personally. But then at a certain point, it just got easy to be like, oh, Agnes would do this. She would definitely do this. And not like, what would I have her do? Or what would I do? But let me tweak it a little bit. It was really just kind of like almost like how I remember when I was learning French in high school and our teacher said, like, there's a sweet spot where you will find that rather than reading a sentence and kind of, you know, flipping each word over in your mind, here's the French word, here's what it means in English, right. here's the French word, here, yeah, yeah. you'll just read it as a French sentiment and you'll understand it in French, there will be like a part of your brain that will just start getting wired that way. And that, that was part of the thrill, I think, of writing um, a character driven novel that took me a long time, where I started to just like have Agnes, an Agnes chip in my brain, so that creating her felt very fluid. Right. Um, 
even though there's nothing, you know, um, like I wasn't using my own material really. At what point did you feel like you got there with that character? Was it there from the beginning or was that in the writing? Um, I think it was when I was, um, constructing her family, um, and, um, you know, the loss of her brother and like the parents kind of inability to feel that loss, um, like nobody had closure anywhere. Right. And so that was an idea that was interesting to me. You know, it's like closure doesn't exist. What happens? You know, everybody always wants closure, 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 closure. It's like the holy grail of moving on or healing or any of that stuff that right. we think is good. But what if it just nobody gets there? And then you're always just kind of like moving along this the same corridor and not able to connect you know, and, and I don't know, once I kind of could, could place her in that realm of family, I felt like I had, I had my character. Interesting. Um, you mentioned earlier that you, the, the drafting, you didn't really know where you were going with it, mm -hmm. um, which is surprising to me because I thought the book was so well paced and that it kind of combined like the two reasons for reading a novel almost in that like I felt compelled to read by the plot like it, it almost felt like a page turner to me as like I did not know what was going to happen and I, I hadn't read even like the back cover I had no idea what the plot was right and so I cool. thought you know I she meets T Rose and I'm like okay this is like gonna go wrong but then <laughs> I, and then like oh she's pregnant she's gonna get an abortion she doesn't. I'm like, I think my jaw actually dropped when she realized <laughs> she was going to keep it. And then yeah. I think like, what's going to go wrong with the baby? And there's the, uh, the preeclampsia or whatever. And I expect yeah. some terrible ending, but then it ends not, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I was legitimately strung along by the plot. I'm yet, so glad to hear that. That's really great. Yet <laughs> the, the writing was so good that I wanted to linger on sentences too. So like it had this literary merit where I think uh, maybe, you know, serious novels aren't supposed to be so plot driven or something like that. But I thought yours was both plot driven and it, like a pleasure to read. Do you see those two as mutually exclusive experiences or is that just me? <laughs> I think, I think, no, I think that's such a good question. And I, I really appreciate what you said. Um, and I, I have struggled with that because my, I, I just, I always think about language. I think about language all the time. I think about the structure of a sentence. Does it hold up? Does it sound like pleasing in a way that is completely abstract, like not pleasing according to any rubric I can name, just sort of like right, pleasing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I, I've never known what to do with plot it ever. I mean, literally there is, I don't think there's anything I've ever written that would be accused of, of having plot or could very well be maligned for not having plot. I just, 
you know, I've written a lot of like weird short form things. I've written a lot of short stories um, that where <laughs> nothing really happens. Um, I had this this whole manuscript of, you know, these this kind of novel in stories um, that, again, is very based in setting and, and language. And um, so I don't know, I uh, I kind of thought so much about Agnes, so much about brokenness, so much about loneliness, so much about abandonment and um, and wanting to explore those things to the best and the fullest of my ability. And then there, there was a point where it was like, things just seemed right. And then the next thing would seem right. And then the next thing would seem right. It was almost like, I don't want to say like in some magical kind of divine inspiration way, like one thing begot the next, but I think I had the benefit of just taking my time with it and so I could linger on a sentence level and I could write a lot of things that ended up being cut later, um, probably for the good of, of the book. Um, but I, I, I think the, the slowness of my process allowed me to like, um, let things happen or imagine what could happen without it feeling like boilerplate, like without me having to say, okay, well, we've got to get Agnes to Z. Sure. So let me like, let me think about like the three, you know, exciting or worst things that could happen. Um, I really like subtlety. I like subtlety maybe too much. So I, I'm very wary and uh, for my own writing, that is, I mean, I would, you know, I know people can do it masterfully, but I was always really nervous to have the thing that was like, bum, 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 you know, that announced itself or um, that seemed too sensationalized. I also, like, I remember reading a book at some point by um, Wally Lamb. What was the book by Wally Lamb that got a lot of attention? Maybe she's come undone. I don't know if you've read that. I have no idea horrible things happen to this one character, just like relentlessly horrible things happen to this one character to the point where it becomes, there's like a masochistic thing that I felt from the author. Um, I felt kind of like ease up on this. This is like, I don't know, you're showing your hand too much or something. Or like, I feel like I'm like, looking in, you know, in at like the underside of your mouth. Like I don't, it's just like too much. And so I, I think like my earlier drafts were probably much more plotting uh, with a lot less of any of the kind of excitement that you described. Um, I think we up the tension by losing some of, you know, just, just, some of the, the words, like just some of the bulky words that yeah, I probably could have just gone on and written was, was forever. Was that something that like the editor or agent suggested? My editor made, we, we probably made like three full kind of like 
like passes through the, the manuscript. Um, the first time around we lost a little bit. It was, it was never like massive. It wasn't like we are cutting 25,000 words off the bat. Like it was just these kinds of like, well, if we lose this, we've got to kind of cut this back. And if we lose this, we've got to think about this. So it was sort of like, um, in some ways it was really fun and interesting. It's like a math problem that you have to solve. Um, it's never just cutting, is it? (laughs) I think it's really never just cutting. I mean, I, I wish it could just be like, boop, there it goes. But it's not. It's like for everything you ha- you take out, you have to restore a kind of equilibrium. Yeah. So while we did cut a lot, I found that I also would be adding things here and there um, just to make, make it smooth and, and make it supple and so that it didn't actually feel like there were these like bricks missing out of the foundation. Um, but I think the things that we did cut were were very um pointed and helpful to the overall um momentum so yeah my my editor was just great she just had a very good instinct um i could tell she was a really big fan of the character and of the book so i therefore felt like she really treated it with a lot of care um I don't know if that's always the case. That was my experience and it was a good one. So yeah, the second time through we, we like tighten it up a little bit more. And the third time through, we just like, we, there were maybe three or four sections where we just really like honed in on some, you know, line level paragraph level stuff. So yeah, by the end it was, it was like quite a lot of hair on the floor, but it was good. Yeah. And the mom being missing, I think also adds this like low level tension throughout the book. So mm-hmm. it's almost like no matter what happens, you're, you're kind of wondering where's the mom the whole time, you know? Yeah. Um, and even again, spoiler alert that she comes back. <laughs> it's not a simple coming back and it's all happy. And you know what I mean? Like that's not the right. resolution, um, right. which I thought was, for me as a reader, very satisfying that it wasn't satisfying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Oh, good. It. it wasn't like the little bow on the end of the novel. Um, I wasn't really sure. Like, I mean, it was a kind of a late move, um, that like when I decided to bring her back, I really didn't know that was going to happen. That was, that for example, was not something that I thought about in the first third or even half of, of, the story. When I started to think about the reality of Agnes having the baby, I thought, well, what next? And I turned over a few scenarios in my mind and, and then it, it kind of hit me like maybe the mom will come back. It just, I, I had thought the, the mother's absence would, right. would just, would be, would be it, that she would never come back and that her absence would, would be her presence in the book. And, um, but then at a point I thought, wait, (laughs) I just, I, it got interesting and fun for me to, um, again, try to solve the problem of, of her coming back. Right. Cause you'd set it up and it, it almost felt like you didn't know that she was coming. Like, right. 
Or <laughs> it surprised it everyone. Was, it was like another oh shit moment for me reading because yeah. it was such a given that she wasn't coming back. <laughs> then all oh, of a sudden good. she's there, but then like she kind of sucks. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> she's the worst. <laughs> uh, so that was fun. <laughs> good. Yay. Uh, Makes me happy. You were talking earlier about um, oh, what was the content? You were saying like the. So I guess the voice of Agnes being this sort of culmination of, of being that age and in that time. Um, and I think you do in this novel something I normally hate, but you pull it off, which is right about music. Um, <laughs> and especially like I, I just hate it when in fiction you read something where it says like a, so- a certain song is playing in a scene. Mm-hmm. It just feels very lazy to me. But yeah. I think this works because it's you're not just setting a scene, you're setting the whole moment of the novel, the whole like milieu that the novel's taking place in. Mm-hmm. Um, so was it always a, a given for you that the novel would take place in the early 90s and that music would be such a big part of it? No, definitely not. In fact, I think um, I... I, I really squirm under specifics. I, I really do. I always, if I look back on other things I've written, they're always in some nowhere, you know, mm-hmm. in some no time. And the time and the place, I don't know. It, it's, I don't know whether it, it's, it's fear of like, being buttoned to a certain moment. It's fear of making those potentially cheesy choices. It's um, the fear of kind of like expiration. So there's always like a heavy use of kind of memory and fog and mist and nothing. And this kind of like overarching, just like nihilism to anything that I've ever written. And this started in that same and and maybe has some elements of that as well but um i had to justify those letters in a college setting and i knew that you know i i was a freshman in 1995 and that was the first year that i used email so and i and i freaked out over it And I felt like maybe Agnes would have freaked out over email too, because it's just a way to write a letter and send it really fast. And so then there was like the sending problem. Is she sending them? Is she keeping them? Which is something I kind of wanted to withhold until the end of the book. Yeah. Yeah. So just in terms of, of logistics and being practical, I think there are certain things in a novel that you do sometimes have to answer to that you don't necessarily have to answer to in a short piece Um, I'm all for crazy leaps of daring and imagination, but I'm also like, there has to be some function of plausibility. And for me, I felt like, you know, it would work if I kind of set the novel in a pre 1995 and a kind of early nineties time set where, that's still fresh enough in my mind that I felt like I could access it, you know, with, with ease and with, again, with a certain amount of plausibility, but, um, I don't know, like I didn't want to, I didn't want to go into the eighties 
I didn't want to. Anyway, so technology in certain ways kind of like fixed that question for me. I didn't initially have a lot of the music references, but as soon as we kind of were like, yeah, it's definitely like the early 90s. It was another editor suggestion where it's like, if you're going to make it the early 90s, like maybe make it the early 90s, kind of like, what are you afraid of? And I, I really like sat with that for a while. I was like, what am I afraid of? And all the things that I had been afraid of, I really had to like grapple with a little bit. But, um, but I kind of, again, like tested it out is like really satisfying to have like the, you know, T Rose character be super into Nirvana. And it was, it just, I got a kick out of that. It was like fun to make him a little bit ridiculous in that way. I mean, not that, it's not, you know, whatever. Nirvana's fine, but I just no. But when you identify with something else like that, like he yeah. does, it is ridiculous. right. Yeah, it's just like it's the thing. Like he's that guy, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, absolutely. Um. So yeah, and then it, and then that and then it did become just sort of um, fun to find that line where I felt like it maybe wasn't overdoing it, but we were being true to a time, um, true to a mood, true to a moment. Um, and just like letting those little, you know, references just kind of speckle the text and not dominate it. Right. Was it fun to write about the early nineties? Like, <laughs> yeah. I guess once you like, cross that threshold of we're doing this yeah right right um it was fun I mean it it was it's it it was satisfying to like think about a moody young woman um going through a lot of shit in the early 90s you know it's just it it just seemed right it seemed like it it fit her the kind of outsides matching with the insides and all of that. And yeah, it was fun. Um, again, it was fun to find that point where we could lean on certain cultural references, um, without, you know, well, I wouldn't even say you're leaning on, they're just, yeah, they're part of the background. Um, Yeah. Okay. That that's good. I like that better. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate that that you weren't leaning on it. Um, Mm -hmm. the way like the one that pops out to me is like maybe Brett Easton Ellis's novels or yeah where you're just like all right we get it you like (laughs) you were in a club and this song was playing and like you're wearing you're like all right all right I mean right 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 I don't know uh he's yeah no I know I yeah he's fine (laughs) um but no that's true like um well then I mean then it really just becomes I mean it almost becomes I like, I think of Bretton Easton Ellis, for example, almost as like a genre writer yeah, for those oh, very I reasons. Think he definitely is. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you're really like, okay, you're super slick and it's this. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Right. But, but it was fun. Like I, and I think too, um, you know, I like, I think about, um, I would say, like anytime I've read any historical fiction, 
that has, you know, where you really can tell that there's like this, like backdrop and context that has been fully researched. Um, it's, it's wonderful when it works. It's really satisfying. I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess it, in some ways it's just like, I think I, I think I'm like Agnes in that, like, I don't want to do that kind of research, um, to build a time period. I didn't sure. feel like I needed to do that at all with the nineties yeah. because I was there and, um, I felt like I wanted to have a little bit of a laugh with that era um, versus like getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, I did do like the David Koresh. There's a little bit of yeah, a David yeah, Koresh um, reference. And I was kind of like, that, that oh, was like, um, I was so excited to put David Koresh in there. Yeah, and I was like excited to do that research. So I guess it depends on like, what but that was like kind of a laugh. I mean, I guess a dark laugh, but yeah, but it was, yeah. I mean, it put yeah. it in time and you're like, oh yeah, that's that, that happened. Right. That happened. Um, yeah. Um, yeah crazy but yeah and it's like a, one of my friends from home and i we like to so i went to school in the early 2000s well college mm-hmm. but we always like to think about what it would have what it would have been like to go to college in the 90s and like have landlines and like not be connected it's crazy other. uh and i think it comes across even in in the novel in like tiny little subtle ways you wouldn't even really think about like that that spring break that Agnes spends at Jones uh, yeah. little apartment. And there's this line where she says like, I can't believe how much stuff I brought over where it's like yeah. nowadays you like, you have your phone and that's really it. But right. That's, that's like, it. You got your book of CDs and like, I, you, you know what I mean? You like, gotta bring the book of CDs. Well, so I, much, like, I mean, physical stuff. Like. So much physical stuff. And I think that was, that was really crazy because I went to grad school around 2002. And at that point, so I was on a campus every day and I was just marveling at how much everything had changed between, you know, I mean, even when I graduated in 99, nobody had cell phones. That was just something that happened so quickly and so soon after. And so, yeah, like I, I, and I often say to myself now, like, I can't imagine what it would be like to, I don't know. It it was just (laughs) not to sound like I'm a hundred, but it did, it was a very kind of analog time. Like you, you did, you really you did some research online, but you didn't do a lot of research online when you were writing papers and stuff. And you were definitely like printing things out all the time. Like yeah. I always remember being like, Oh, I got to go like print this out with my like floppy disk, you yeah, know? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, this, the stuff of it was, um, substantial, but in writing about that time, certain things just became a lot cleaner like yeah right that's you know what i mean like you would like there would have had to been a whole when you're in that relationship mode like i think about agnes and t rose in 2007 or something and there would have been like he's not liking my posts or yeah. like he's offline a lot or whatever and right. or he was tagged um, in a picture with another girl like yeah i was no, tagged like, in a picture with another girl and like 
and writing about them there, it was just kind of like out of sight, out of mind, you know, they were together or they weren't together. They were, you know, like physically hanging out or they were talking on the phone or they were not, you know, nowhere and nothing. And, um, yeah, maybe I have a little nostalgia for that. I don't know. Not even nostalgia. I think it was just neat to like, remember how that was. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like in terms of music, it was kind of the last time that maybe this isn't true, but I, w- I want to say it's the last time that music mattered. Like, because yeah. now what is it? You know, like who? I don't know. It seems so private and personal now, whereas back then it was way more collective and like tangible. Yes. Um, yes. It was like everyone was always having the same moments with stuff, with, yeah. with music. Everyone was aware of what everyone else was listening to. I think, um, I think too, like, I remember like there was where I went to college, there was like this little hardcore club that we went to a couple of times and I was actually just trying to figure out if they still existed, but I didn't know what it was called. So I was like Googling and I couldn't figure it out, but like there was kind of this like quaint feeling of you know you went to a show or you listened to a cd that's what you did you went to a show or you listened to a cd you weren't like watching videos of or i mean you i guess you had mtv but like you weren't like on youtube finding like rare deep cuts right right well like because i I remember being what like 12 and hearing smells like teen spirit on the radio having no idea who that what that band was or like if I would ever hear it again you know what I mm-hmm. mean because it was right. like the and so I just had to hope that it would come on because I right like, what was that I've never heard that before right um, right this is different I was also super yeah. young though um yeah but yeah kids yeah now like people who are in college um they just they already know everything they, they know, know everything <laughs> I know they uh, do which is funny. that's cool Yeah, but there wasn't that moment. Like, I do think about that moment of, like, kind of praying to the radio a little bit. Like, come on, good song that I want to hear. Come on. and Like, being ready. I mean, I definitely recorded a lot of songs off the radio with, like, the last few seconds being, like, Eagle 106.1. And I'm like, fuck, you ruined that last moment. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, the music stuff was fun. I mean, I made, you know, it was my publisher's idea to come up with a Spotify playlist, um, which is, is as far as I know, still on Spotify. Is that the, the, as art, the mother of the large hearted uh, boy one? No. So that was fun, too. But, yeah. but it was like it was Spotify is came first. And I kind of like made myself be like you can only spend so much time with this because this is the project that could be like the project of your life you know thinking about all the different directions you can go the songs that might sound like agnes that she might have listened to that might be kind of a good backdrop for the story that might be sort of tongue-in-cheek whatever um so that is on spotify and i think i think it's a good playlist i mean i don't listen to it often but when I was reading in New York, they had it on at um, 
at Powerhouse. And I was like, this is actually a really good mix. I hadn't listened to it in a while. It was fun. And then the Large Hearted Boy one was, you know, that's just such a fun project. But I wanted to make, you know, I wanted to come up with a totally different list of songs. So I, I feel like I got to include things that missed the cut with the Spotify one. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, like, that definitely made me think of the book a little bit more like specifically musically. Yeah. Um, do you listen to music when you write? Um, I, if I do, it's usually classical music. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't do, uh, lyrics. No, I can't do lyrics. Um, I can't think too much about what it, like, I can't like fact with playlists and I just will usually put on like a Bach playlist or a Mozart playlist and zone out. Um, if, if I listen to anything at all. Um, but yeah, I like, um, kind of choral sort of medieval chamber music too. Just like not chance, but that era of, like sacred music can be really nice mm. and ambient and not distracting. That's like the only voice stuff I would really choose to listen to That's anything true. else is distracting. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned some of the short stories you've written and I looked through your website and was reading some of the old ones. Um, and he, it seemed like maybe this were just the ones that I clicked on, but they had to do with mothers or pregnancy uh, yeah, there's a few of those. Yeah, all right. So I wasn't just me, but no. Were, were those? Did, did they feel like they were preparation for this novel at all? It's funny. I never really thought of that. Um, I think, I think you know, maybe in terms of just like writing what you know, writing what your immediate experience is. Um. Like, I remember those stories coming at a time of, like, new new motherhood and and having a lot of feelings about that and wanting to, you know, like, explore those feelings um, in some often, like, uh, far-fetched and maybe fantastical ways. I think... I think I really was more interested in daughterhood with um, with motherist than I was in motherhood. Oh, but sure. obviously then, you know, it all kind of came circling back around. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say if, if I had, like, if there were thematic elements in what I write that is I think a fair assessment. Um, it's certainly like been the thing that has like shaped and changed me during much of my active writing life. And I think there are so many ways to uh, examine it and um, like pull it apart. So yeah. I, I do feel like, like I'm working on something new now and it, and it feels nice to 
not be writing about motherhood, at least not like directly in such a way. Um, but I think on some level, it's something I'm probably going to continue to come back to. What are you working on now? Um, I mean, it's the, it's, it's a novel. Um, it's, it's, it feels, I mean, it's obviously different. I mean, that's the thing that it's a very different novel than Mother Earth. Um, I think it was my dad or something asked if it was a sequel. I was like, no. (laughs) Imagine if you wrote the same novel. What would that even be? (laughs) I think that's funny. I like, it's like I'm working on something that's very different. Yeah. I would love to just be like I'm working on something that's extremely that's yeah. similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. Uh, it's like it's kind of an amalgam of ideas that I've had for a while. That um, like a lot of the weird pet interests and obsessions of mine um, that I'm trying to figure out how to make work in one storyline um so i guess that's all i'll say about it but it's also still really i'm probably only about maybe a quarter of a third into it but this time around i actually do have things a little bit more like outlined sure so to speak i don't know if that's you know how things will stay but um it i'm i'm approaching things differently just to see what happens are you gonna open a bookstore I really want to. My friend, that would be um, awesome. yeah, I, it would be. <laughs> My friend Laura and I, um, we would love to do that um, here in Birmingham. We um, have a sense of where we would love it to be, but we don't. We don't have the space yet. And she's also living in Michigan right now, which is like a wee <laughs> technical um, glitch. But we're not in any position to really like. Um, like open one right this minute or even in the foreseeable future, but we're kind of just trying to do some groundwork now so yeah. that maybe it can be a reality Yeah. at some uh, point. Is there, do you have a good bookstore in Birmingham or no? Is that the reason? Uh, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble, but no, uh, we don't. <laughs> I mean, I think there are like, there are definitely bookstores and they are, you know, serving their purpose i think the the bookstore that we have in mind is um is just something different that i don't think there's anything we don't have anything like that here like um bookstore where that is staffed by people who really read a lot and read very widely um a bookstore that can offer like very interesting programming and like a lot of it and can have like a really good poetry section and a really good independent press section and um just like all the things that i love in a bookstore and that i love as like um a reader so i think there are like needs to be filled um i think there are probably a lot of readers here who get exactly what they need from Barnes and Noble. Yeah. So I feel like we maybe are trying to serve a certain group, but also give other readers something that they don't even know they need. Right. Cause a good know. bookstore can really like 
it's not just filling a void. It's like creating, like a creating a void and then filling it. Almost. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. It's like you have to point out everything that you know that's missing, and then you have to, then you have to provide it, and then some. Yeah, right. Because if you get a name, like I, I think about Powell's in Portland, like you wouldn't think of. Yeah. Uh, Portland is like a necessarily great literary city otherwise mm-hmm. almost I mean not to say Portland's not I, you know I would feel neutrally about it otherwise but then you're like oh it's got that amazing bookstore that you ha- bookstore. have to go to mm-hmm. um, yeah and um, yeah I mean in my research it's it's funny because I think like um I guess I'm learning a lot about retail and things that I've never really been interested in or, or particularly good at. I mean, business, you know, it's just whatever, obviously not my, not been my strong suit, um, in terms of anything I've done thus far in my life. But, um, but I do think about this idea that, um, like we are living in a time of, you know, convenience and trying to like create these stores like target and walmart where like everything exists there you know so like you can just so everything has been like generalized um and amazon obviously same thing and then i think about how nice it is to just have a store that it that kind of stands up and says like we are here for serious readers yeah which isn't to say that if you're not a serious reader you can't come in but right. it, it is to say that if you come in you might leave as a more serious reader and that's right. good for everybody you know well and also like people just like to leave their houses sometimes yeah, <laughs> and uh, totally. i think bookstores i mean of course i'm biased but they're a great place to just go and like be out of your house. Exactly. In a place that isn't, I don't, you know, it's, you don't have to buy anything. Whereas other no. places you kind of expected to like buy or get out. Um, you can yeah, totally. Uh, and now that it's getting, I co- remember colder, I can't like go in the park. I like, I can just go to a bookstore and kind of hang out. Yeah. I mean, we like anytime we're somewhere new and, you know, it's just, that's my first question, you know, it's just like, well, let's just find the bookstore. Right. Let's like see right. what this bookstore is, because I think you really can get a sense of place from a bookstore. And I definitely felt like there were these kind of moments when, when our, when I lived in Athens and there's such a wonderful um, bookstore there called Avid and it was pretty new, um, like we were getting ready to leave town when I think they were a couple years old. But I remember having like a toddler and a baby and having that feeling of, I have to leave my house. I have to get out of here. And it would, it was just this place where I would go and feel so much peace and so much gratitude for the fact that I could have an adult conversation and be somewhere not have to necessarily spend money. I always ended up spending money, but um, you know, Anyway, I think it's, <laughs> I just, I think it's, um, 
I mean, you're lucky to have as many around you as you do. Uh, when I was recently in New York, we went to a few, some friends of mine. And I was like, oh, you guys don't even know. Like, it's just yeah. so, so nice to have this, you know. We, I just got one in my neighborhood and I'm still kind of feeling it out. Well, it's so there's Greenlight Bookstore uh, mm-hmm. in, in Fort Greene. They have the satellite location down by me now. Nice. I'm in like Flatbush. But I'm still feeling it. I was like, are you guys for real? Like, is this or do I need to go to a real bookstore to like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's still like brand new and it, people are right. sure of like how to behave in there. Right. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, the best thing you could do is just like go and buy a shit ton of books. Yeah, like, that's what I've been doing. Could. Every yeah. time I go in there, I'll, I'll get two or three just to. Like, yeah, that's great. Please I, don't leave. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it is probably going to be like touch and go for a little bit, but hopefully. That's, they're they're yeah. doing events and, uh, you know, it's nice. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. yeah, that would be, that would definitely be a dream that I'm, and I know it'd be a very difficult one, but, um, I, it's like the first kind of career thing I've ever felt so super strongly about besides writing, which, you know, um, I know I'll, I'll always do that. At least I believe I will. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, it's like the business end of it is the thing that kind of gives yeah. me the shakes, but we'll see. Right. It must be terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anything well, like that is terrifying. Yeah, when numbers get involved. Uh, I know. Well, exactly. I wish you uh, the best in that. And um, thank you. I guess we'll wrap it up. It's been about an hour. Um, so thank you for that was fun. To me. And again, congrats on the book. Um, I loved it. Thank uh, you, Andrew. I love talking to you and I'm, I'm, uh, it means a lot that you loved it. I, I feel like I have heard from on the whole, like more women. And I guess that's something to oh, be really? expected well, with a book called Motherist, maybe know. that's I, right. I, like, I don't know. You know, people just got to read everything. I really hate divisions and genres and all that. Like, it's a good book book. well thanks i'm so glad you liked it yep thanks for hanging out yeah you too okay take care okay bye bye